I don't do well in front of uh, crowds, and I also am sick and have a stopped up head, so my head feels very echoey. Um, even though I uh, do communication for my job, I'm a counselor, um, I still have real anxiety speaking in front of crowds. Um, my name is Leah. I'm a Christian, a daughter, a mother, a wife, and a person in long-term recovery. In June of this year, I will be sober six years from drugs and alcohol. I've been married for almost two years, and I have three beautiful daughters that are 23, 21, and 16, and a handsome son that's 10 months old. I have a granddaughter that is 14 months old, and yes, my granddaughter is older than my son. <laughs> Growing up, we did go to church, and I even went to camps during the summer. I was saved at age 10. It seemed like the thing to do, and all of my church friends were doing it. Unfortunately, I carried this attitude through many years of my life, following others. I strayed away from the Lord and was not involved in church as much as I had been. We moved to Elgin, and I remember going to Sunday school, but it wasn't often. At some point, I quit going to church entirely, but claimed to still be a Christian. My behaviors were not of a Christian, but for a person that was completely lost. I began drinking daily and using substances while being a mother. It seemed like my life to others was well put together, but inside I was fighting a battle with myself, substances, and the guilt of being a complete hypocrite. I wanted to please others and lost myself in doing so. My relationship with God was completely broken in my mind, and I had lost all hope for the opportunity of being forgiven. My life was nothing but a lie, and it was so hard to try to keep up with. I was deceiving my three children, my family, and other relationships that I was in. In June of 2013, I was exhausted and wanted to end the constant chaos that I was creating for myself on a daily basis. I was able to go to treatment for 70 days of inpatient and then continue in outpatient. During this time, I realized that I wanted to help others that were having the same struggle. I became a licensed counselor and now work at a treatment center in Austin. Excuse me. After I got out of treatment, I started going to church on a regular basis and then rededicated my life to Christ and was baptized on August 7th of 2016. My, my life was completely transformed by the grace of God. The feeling that I have in my heart is pure joy. God is using me as a vessel of his word to share with others that have lost hope. I am so thankful to work at a facility that knows the only way one can overcome addiction is by the grace of God and having a loving relationship with our Father. He has carried me through the darkness and given me a whole new meaning and purpose for life. My life is full of blessings. He continues to use me and speak through me. God gives me the strength to be vocal about my addiction. I am thankful for the struggles that I have experienced in my life. They were not always easy or fun. 
that without those struggles, I'm unsure what my relationship with God would be like would be like today. My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me, and like a flood, His mercy reigns. Unending love, amazing grace. This is my story, and this is my song. Thank you. And so, uh, thank you so much for sharing what God has been doing in your life with us. Guys, uh, I'm in John chapter 9. And we're doing this series called This Is My Story as we walk through the Gospel of John. We see what happens when Jesus has an encounter with people, how people's lives are changed. We learn a whole lot about God. We also learn a whole lot about us. And this whole, the, the, the whole idea for this series was, series was actually birthed this summer uh, as we were doing a, a Bible study with deacons and wives. And we were kind of studying what it meant to be a transformational church. And we're talking about how, how, do we, how do we get there? Is there anything that we should be doing that we're not doing? And so one of the things we talked about uh, was the fact that one of the things transformational churches do really well is that they share their stories, uh, their successes, how God has changed them. And we kind of looked at what we did kind of in our programming, how we were set up and said, we don't do that very well. We don't share our successes very well. We don't talk about um, all that God has done for us often. And so uh, we wanted to, to kind of, I think just during that time, birth in my spirit was this idea, hey, let's walk through the gospel of John. Let's do this thing. Let's provide opportunity. And maybe that'll become part of our, our DNA. And so this morning, we, we got another amazing encounter when Jesus comes face to face with an individual, and it is unique uh, to the gospel of John. It's unique, actually, it, it, to, to our knowledge, to all of the writings of antiquity. Nowhere else do we find a man that is born blind that receives his sight. And so that's what we're going to talk about in John chapter 9 this morning. Join me in a quick word of prayer. Okay, Father, thank you for loving us. Uh, Lord, you are so good. We know that your word endures forever. And as we turn now to open your word, we pray uh, that you would speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit, we want to invite you to come and to take your proper place. Um, we, we, we ask that you would be our teacher, that you would be our God. We pray that you would teach us the things of Jesus from the inside out, that you would uh, take what, what we've heard, what we know to be true in the word of God, and that as Jesus was walking with the disciples after his resurrection, that you would set our hearts on fire for those things. That we would leave here as a people that are on fire for God because the truth of God had finally been revealed to us and we saw it for the first time. So God, what we're praying, what we're asking, what we're saying is that we too can be these blind people. And we need you to open our eyes to the truth of your word so that we might live for your glory and that you might be praised throughout the nations. In Jesus' name, we ask all of these things. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. So guys, I'm in John chapter 9. Again, we're going to break all the rules of seminary and read way too much scripture. We're actually going to read the entire chapter, okay? So John chapter 9, you don't get it unless you read the whole chapter. If we skipped around, uh, we, would, we would lose kind of the context and the meaning. So let's just uh, book through this together. I was thinking of Smokey and the Bandit this week. We've got a long way to go and a short time to get there, okay? So let's, uh, let's do it. All right, John chapter 9, starting in verse 1. It says, as he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. Now, I want to set this up, just, just go back for a second. I want you to remember John chapter 8, which some people kind of argued, is that supposed to be there? Is that not supposed to be there? And I, I want to tell you the argument for it being there and, and for the reason why it fits there is because it was, it was the end of the Feast of Tabernacles, which we'll talk about in a second. Jesus had just said, I'm the light of the world, right? Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but he will have the light of life. That's going to tie in, 
Okay, so, so there's a reason that it's here. We, 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 we believe that it's purposefully put here. And so, because in John chapter nine, this is like a continuation of that same thought. So just kind of follow me there as we walk through. And so as he was passing by, uh, Jesus sees a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, this was a collective thought in the day that if you had something wrong with you, a disease, a deformity, uh, if you're born lame or blind or you know just anything wrong with you, that it was a direct result of your sin or the sin of your parents. Now, now listen, I, I want to just kind of theologically wrap this up for you right now. And we talked about this when we talked about the man by the pool at Bethesda. There are several reasons that we face suffering in this world. Okay, the primary reason is because of the sin of humanity, right? The fall of mankind back in Genesis 3. That is the only sense in which we could say that every suffering we face is tied to sin, only because of the Genesis 3 moment and the fall of mankind, okay? Now, now then there are other reasons we, we, we face suffering. Sometimes it's because of the sin of others, aka, like in this, well, did his parents do something? Now, that, that's very uncommon in the Bible, by the way. Um, and sometimes we face suffering because of our own sin, right? And, and so, so that, that is a commonly held belief here. But what Jesus is saying is, is listen, there are some times that you face suffering, and it's not about any of that. Okay? It's not about any of that. So he's going to tell us kind of, kind of what God intended for this man's life here. And so he says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming where no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. There it is again. We're tying this back to John chapter 8. After he said these things, he spit on the ground and he made some mud from the saliva and he spread the mud on his eyes. Go, he told him and washed in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he left, he washed, he came back seeing. Amen. He came back seeing. His neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar said, isn't he the one who used to sit begging? Some said, uh, he's the one. Others were saying, no, but he looks like him. He kept saying, I am the one. And so they asked him, then how were your eyes open? Now there's the first question. How did this happen? How did this happen? They're going to ask the wrong question all throughout the chapter. Okay? They're asking how. They should be asking who. Okay? We have a tendency, my friends, to get stuck on the how when we should be focusing on the who. All right? I'm just going to say that's free. That's not even in the sermon. That's just extra credit. All right? So, so listen, uh, here is the question. How did this happen? He answered, the man called Jesus, made mud, spread it on my eyes, told me to go to Siloam and to wash. So when I went and washed, I received my sight. Where, where is he, they asked. I don't know. He said, I, I just, just follow me here. He just told them how it happened, even though how is not important. So I was blind. He put mud in my eyes. So he led me to the pool of Siloam. I washed, and then I could see. And their question is, well, where is he? I don't know, dude. I was blind. You follow me? What, what do you mean where I was blind? Do you not remember that? This is why you're questioning me. I was blind. He put mud in my eyes. I'm doubly blind now. I went to the pool. How can I tell you where he is? I was blind. I'm just, this is, this is curious to me. And so uh, verse 13, they brought the man who used to be blind, but to the Pharisees, uh, the day that Jesus made the mud and opened the eyes was the Sabbath. Here we go. Jesus is going, I'm going to teach you a lesson again. I'm going to teach you a lesson about God. You, you don't know him as well as you think you do. Then the Pharisees asked him again how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, he told them. I wash and I can see. Some of the Pharisees said this man is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, uh, how can a sinful man perform such signs? And there was a great division among them. 
Okay, now there, the, the Pharisees are even divided about Jesus. Again, they asked the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? He's a prophet, he said. The Jews did not believe this about him, that he was blind and received a sight until they summoned the parents of the one who had received a sight. They asked him, is this your son, the one you say was born blind? How then now does he see? Again, here's the question again. How, 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 now they're asking the parents, how does your son see? And I love this response. They're, they're like, I don't know. I don't know. He says, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, his parents answered, but we do not know how he now sees. And we don't know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age, he will speak for himself. Now his parents said these things because they were afraid of the Jews since the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him as the Messiah, he would be banned from the synagogue. Why don't you just think through that? Just let that sink in. This is what's at stake. I'll, I'll be disconnected. Not Hear me, not just, not just from church. I'll be disconnected from all of the people known as Israel. Okay? Just think through that. All right? So a second time they summoned the man who had been born blind, and they told him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether or not he is a sinner, I don't know. Ready? This is I, the, the, the most important verse of, of chapter 9, in my opinion. Whether or not he is a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, and now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I already told you, he said, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You don't want to become his disciples too, do you? This man's now a follower of Jesus. They ridiculed him. You're that man's disciple, but we're Moses' disciple. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but this man, we don't know where he's from. That's an amazing thing, the blind man told them. Formerly blind man told them, you don't know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he listens to him. Throughout history, no one has ever heard of someone opening the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. Boys preaching. He says, you were born entirely in sin, they replied, and you were trying to teach us, and then they threw him out. It means out of the synagogue. Out. Excommunicated, if you will. Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out, and when he found him, he asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? He asked. Jesus answered, you have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. I believe, Lord, he said, and he worshiped him. And Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment in order that those who do not see will see, and those who do see will become blind. So the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and asked him, we aren't blind too, are we? If you were blind, Jesus told them, you wouldn't have sin. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. Mm. Now, a lot of ground to cover. In fact, I've got three lessons I want to share with you this morning in 20 minutes to get it done. Okay? Let's go. Let's go. Three lessons. Here's the first thing I want you to see. I think the first lesson we learned from this guy is this, that Jesus is the light of the world, God with us. Jesus is the light of the world, God with us. Now, you may not have sensed this, but John has actually been building this argument since the very beginning of his gospel. I want to prove it to you. Turn with me all the way back to John chapter 1. See, we're in John chapter 9. John knows where he's headed. He's building this argument. So let's, let's just read where John chapter 1 begins. 
It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This Word is God, all right? He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. In Him was life, ready? And that life was the light of men. So Jesus is the Word of God. In Him is life, and that life is the light of mankind. It says that light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness did not overcome it. And then it says there was a man who was sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. How many times have I said light? Pop quiz. A lot. Follow me? The, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people he did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observe his glory, the glory of the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And so here's the thesis of John's gospel. Jesus is the son of God, the light and life of the world. That's the thesis, okay? Jesus is God incarnate, God in the flesh, and he has come to bring life and light to everyone in the world because the world is currently living in darkness. This is John's thesis. He's building his point. We get to John chapter 9. He's like, yep, I'm just going to reinforce this, this thought starting in 8. Now, 9, Jesus is indeed the light of the world. He's the light of life. Now, light's a big deal to the Jews, now, may not mean a whole lot to you until you're walking through your house in the middle of the night and your pinky toe screams out. You know what I'm saying? Like, like light may not mean that much to you, but to the Jews it was a big deal. And we talked about this already when we talked, <coughs> excuse me, about Jesus' claim, I'm the bread of life, or I'm the manna from heaven, right? Because the Jews, uh, the exodus out of Egypt, God was, was bringing them into the promise. They didn't have faith to cross over. Uh, and, and so they, they, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. They wandered in the wilderness. During that time, God provided manna from heaven. And Jesus is, is going to reference that and say, hey, I am the true manna from heaven. I am the true bread of life, right? Well, there was another provision for God's people during that time, during that trip in Israel. And that provision was called the pillar cloud. The pillar cloud. So starting uh, basically right after Passover, a huge pillar of cloud shows up in Egypt. And this pillar of cloud starts heading out. And, and it becomes the guide for the people of God. And so they follow the pillar of cloud. When the pillar of cloud stops, they stop. Uh, it settles down around them, all these kind of things. And so over and over and over throughout the Exodus, all through the wandering, this pillar of cloud was with them. During the day, it would guide them. Um, when it went, they went. When it stopped, they stopped. At night, it would settle down amongst the camp. It would provide warmth because in the desert, it's cold at night. Uh, during the day, it would shield them from the sun. And, and when Moses would meet with God, the pillar of cloud would would rest upon the tent of meeting. And here is, this pillar of cloud is such a big deal. Here's how the book of Exodus ends, all right? This is the end of the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 40. Uh, it's in very small font because I didn't want to make two slides. So here it goes. Uh, the Israelites set out whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle throughout all the stages of their journey. If the cloud was not taken up, they did not set out until the day it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and there was a fire inside the cloud by night, visible to the entire house of Israel throughout all all the stages of their journey. So this pillar cloud's a big deal. Now listen, when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, this is a reference, okay? We believe that that claim back in John 8 happens at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles. 
Okay, the Feast of Tabernacles is a big deal because God said you're going to have a feast, and the feast is going to remind you about that time that I was with you in that pillar cloud, when I was your light in the darkness of the desert. And so Israel celebrated this thing called the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths, and they would build for themselves these structures, these booths, and they would sleep in them for seven days, and and they would light these huge menorahs, and the menorahs would light up the entire city of Jerusalem. They were so big. And, and, and again, it was a reminder, God's light in the darkness. They were celebrating a time that God's light was with them way back in the past. And Jesus stands before them and says, yeah, I'm that. And so if we're going to understand what, Jesus, what it means for Jesus to be the light of the world, we have to know what that pillar cloud meant to the people. And it really represented several things, but three in particular. Number one, it represented God's presence with his people. God's presence with his people. I'll tell you what, if you're out there and an enemy is looking at you and there's a cloud that is moving with you, like moving with you, like it doesn't separate from you, it's moving with you, settles amongst you. I mean, they're leaving Egypt, the cloud moved from the front of them to the back of them to protect them, right? I mean, God's going, I got you. I got you. I am with you. I am in this. And in the midst, guys, listen, the wilderness wandering was about their lack of faith. Another way you could say that is their sin. Right, And yet God is saying, I know that you didn't do what I asked you to do. I know that you didn't have the faith that I wanted you to have. I know that you failed me, but I will not fail you. I'm still with you. I will never leave you, forsake you. I mean, it's awesome. So Jesus said, yeah, I'm that in the flesh. Okay, Just as, 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 as the pillar cloud, the light in the darkness was there for God's people, and they knew that God was with them, Jesus is going, this is how you can know that God is with you. I am he. I am he. Huge, right? So, so God's, uh, God's presence. Second, the pillar cloud was, was about God's protection, right? God's protection. Uh, during the day, it would, it, would, it would shield them from the scorching heat. At night, it would, it would warm them from, from the cold. And not to mention, can you imagine uh, if, if you were an enemy of Israel and you saw this cloud uh, everywhere they went? I think it would, plus there's the whole story of, you know, how all of Pharaoh's army got swept up in the sea. Go, no, we're just going to let them pass. <laughs> you guys go, no, you go first. It's okay. It's okay. You guys go first. No, it's fine. It's fine. It's God's, God's protection. Now, Jacob's going to preach on this next week. Uh, he's going to talk about, we get to John 10, and Jesus is going to say, hey, I'm the good shepherd. We're going to talk about God's protection for us, and, and Jacob's going to preach that. I'm excited uh, you guys get to hear him. All right? Jesus saying, yeah, hey, I'm that. And the last thing is that pillar cloud did is it was their guide. It was their guide. It showed them the way, showed them where to go. Jesus shows up and he says, I am the way, right? I am the truth. I am the life. We we talked about this. What's the invitation of Jesus? It has two phases. Come to me. What's the second one? Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Jesus is our God. He shows up and says, hey, that's what I am. I am the light of the world, okay? I am God with you. You need to follow me, Okay? That's what Jesus is saying. So that's, that's the first lesson we learn as Jesus uh, interacts with this blind man. Here's a second lesson we learn, and I, I think it's one, again, that we, we, need to, uh, we need to listen to. Ready? Um, it's hard to argue with, genuine, with the genuine change that Christ brings. It's hard to argue with the genuine change that Christ brings. And I just want to give you a little backstory, and this is uh, nothing, no theological training in this. I'm just going to tell you kind of my story. So uh, a little over nine years ago, I began praying about becoming a pastor. I felt like God was calling me to that. And I was like, Lord, I, don't, I really don't want to do that. 
I'm just gonna be honest with you. I don't know if you ever fight with the Lord. Um, we, we have a couple roundabouts every once in a while. And so a little over nine years ago, I felt like the God, was call, God was calling me to the pastorate. And, uh, and then I, I went from, I was gonna plan a church to, hey, I'm gonna look for a church that, um, that, 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 that has some problems. Uh, I wanna step into that instead. And I was, well, God said, I want you to step in that instead. I was really not happy about that. And uh, so I was fighting with God. I was like, God, I, I don't, I don't wanna do that. I don't wanna do that. And so in the midst of that, I was leading a college Bible study at Frank Phillips uh, College there in Borger, Texas. And um, we had about nine um, students that would show up a week. Sometimes we'd have 15, 20, um, but usually about nine kids. And uh, we were walking through the Gospel of John, and we got to John chapter 9, and I was preparing for that Bible study as we were walking through. And I ran across uh, verse 25, right? He answered whether uh, or not he's a sinner. I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. And in that moment, God just planted a little seed in my spirit uh, that, that he, he just kind of something I wanted. And, and I just thought, Lord, how cool would it be to be a part of a group of people's lives and to teach them that God does genuinely change? He brings genuine. How cool would it be to, to see manifest in a group of people a confidence in Christ that they're willing to go before a, a, a world, right, that is accusing them? And, and, and that's, listen, the, the Pharisees are accusing this blind man. That's what's going on. This, this is pure accusation. Who are you? Who is he? What do you know? Tell us everything. It was the Sabbath. I, I, we want answers. That, and, and the guy's like, like I, and I just love his spirit. He's like, I don't know. I, I, I cannot answer all of your questions, but I do know one thing right? I know one thing, I was blind, and now I see, right? And I just thought, how cool would it be to see that manifest in a group of people that they might come to an understanding that I have something to say, and I don't have to have all the answers, and I don't have to be an apologist, and I don't have to be an evangelist, but before an accusing world, I can always boldly stand in Christ and say, listen, here's what I do know. I don't have all the answers to your questions. I don't know what you're seeking. I don't know why we're having this conversation even, but one thing I know, I was blind and now I see. I was lame and now I won't. I was dead, but now I'm alive. And I just thought, how cool would it be to see that manifest itself in a group of people? And here we are nine years later. I don't know if the Lord has done that or not in us, but I think he's in the process, I pray, of teaching us that this is our story. This is us, guys. We were all born into sin. Blind to the truth of God. This is our story. And Jesus saw us. He saw us first. We didn't see him. I, I, I don't know what your, your story is, but if your story says, and then I found Jesus, you got the story wrong. Jesus saw you suffering in your sin, and he did for you what you could not do for yourself. This is our story. That God saw our sinful condition and he loved us anyway, right? And he healed us so that we could see him, so that we could see God. And, and uh, I just always thought, you know, you know, churches, we worry a whole lot about marketing. Like, what does our logo look like? And what does the sign look like? And is the website okay? I just thought, you know what? We should all just scrap that. Just on the sign, it should just say something like, now I see, Right? Just welcome to Now I See, right? Please come to Now I See. Hey, what, what do you mean? What is that about? I don't know. All of us were blind. We were all dead. We were all lame. But now we see. Now we walk. Now we have life. Come on in, right? I mean, like that, that should be the banner, 
should be the banner. And guys, I, I just want to implore you, if that is not the banner that is reigning over your life, then change the banner, right? Then change the banner. When I, when I first got here, uh, God was so kind to us, and uh, it, was, it was like my first month on the job, and people thought I was going to, uh, I, I think the, the very first senior adult meeting was that I was going to sell the church or something, like, and because we cleaned, we cleaned. Do you got, do you need, some of you were here for that. You remember we had, we had tables throughout, throughout the hallway with Bibles on them. That's the only way to decorate. And, uh, and there, were, there, was, there was some stuff on, on Grand Central that, that uh, wasn't Grand or Central. It was from 86, uh, some pamphlets that were still there. And, and so we, we kind of like, hey, we're going to get rid of this, some of this stuff. And then one of the things that had, had a, a green banner out by the double doors that said, welcome. Do you guys remember this? Well, welcome center here or something that kind of pointed in. I don't know if you guys remember, but the banner was, was dirty and it was torn. So we had to change. If the banner over your life doesn't say, I was, but now I am. If the banner over your life says anything other than Jesus changed me. Then it's time to take down that banner and change it. You guys follow me? That's what's got to happen. That's what's got to happen. And so, uh, listen, listen. And here's the deal. I don't know if you caught this. This is one of the lessons we learned. Even the most educated scholar can be schooled by one genuinely changed life. In an accusing world, even the most educated of scholars can be schooled by one genuine change life. We're going to see that again when we get into John 10 and we study the story of Lazarus and we see how it continues into John chapter 11. Even the most scholarly can be schooled by one life that has changed. Now there's some questions that rise out of that. Some gut check kind of stuff. We'll get to that in a second. But, but things like, am I that? Am I living that? Maybe there's a time I was living that, but am I just saying that? Am I living that, right? There's some things that come out of this, all right? Uh, last one I, I want you to understand. Last lesson we learned from this guy's life is this. Thanksgiving is not enough, right? Thanksgiving is not enough. Worship is the only proper response to what Jesus has done for us. I'm gonna say it again. Thanksgiving is not enough. Worship is the only proper response to what Jesus has done for us. And so I'm going to read 35 through 38 again. It says, Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out. And when they found him, he asked, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? He asked. Jesus answered, you have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. I believe, Lord, he said, verse 38, and he worshiped him. And he worshiped him. Listen, you need to know this. There is a huge difference between being thankful and worshiping God. We're thankful for a lot of things. People hold the door for us. Oh, thank you. Somebody says a kind word to us. Oh, thank you. We're thankful for a lot of things, but being thankful and worshiping are two completely different things. Now, being thankful can lead you into worship, but being thankful in itself is not worship. And here's uh, my fear, friends, all over the world. I think there is a plague of people that are praising God, which means they're telling God, thank you, but they're not actually worshiping God. Because it's easy to say thank you. It is very hard to cry out, Lord, I need you. 
And there is a difference between saying thank you and and between worship. The Bible says that God is spirit and he must be worshipped in spirit and in truth. So if you don't feel something coming out of you, if it doesn't hurt, then you probably just said thanks that morning, right? Because if, if there's not a longing in you that calls you to end yourself for his sake, then you probably missed it. The word in Greek means to fall before someone and to kiss their ring. It it, it talks about a dog licking a master's hand. And that freaks out some people, especially in American Christianity. To think, wait, I'm supposed to come before God almost begging like a dog? Is that what you're trying to tell me? Exactly, friends. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Because a dog understands the master. Understands that's where he gets his food. That's where he gets his safety. That's where he gets his protection. And so while the dog may be thankful that he got fed, ultimately that dog comes back and worships the one who gave him the food and there's a huge difference between saying thanks and between worshiping the hand of God and listen I love you so I'm, I'm, this is not directed at anybody okay hear me now not directed at anybody here this is a global church statement you remember Jeff Foxworthy you remember the you might be a redneck if If you have ever come to church and complained about anything, I'm not even even going to get specific. Anything. Then you might have missed what we're called to do here. If you have ever come to church and complained about anything, then there's a really good chance you did not worship And if you are a person that is carrying around a spirit of complaint, then I'm lovingly going to tell you it has probably been a long time since you truly worshiped God. Because worship has nothing to do with what I want. It has nothing to do with my preferences. It has nothing to do with the music that was picked out. Worship is about coming to an end of myself before the God who created me. Worship is a confession that I am not, but I am in the presence of the great I am. That is worship. And anything short of that, hear me, is not a proper response to Jesus. You follow me? One point in the gospel accounts, Jesus will heal ten lepers. All of those guys, no doubt, say thank you. Only one man returns to worship him. Friends, that ain't a good average. Right? If that was your average in baseball, you're going down to the minors. I wonder, on average, how often do we come into the presence of Jesus and walk away just saying thank you and not actually worshiping? Just let that sink in. Sorry. Gut check moment, all right? What do we do with all that? How do we unpack it? Three things, I'll let you go. Number one, we need to see Jesus for who he really is. Let me say that again. We need to see Jesus. This is all about seeing. Listen, Jesus says, so the light came into the world, and it has two effects. Isn't it crazy how the same thing can have two different effects? Okay? I thought about this this week. Um, have you gone to a matinee recently? Anybody go to a matinee? Because you, 
you can't afford the late night movies. Has anybody gone to a movie lately? Anybody? Okay. So if you go to a matinee, I, it's, that's, my, that's my style, especially if I'm taking children. I'm like, we go in during the day. Okay, we're not doing the nighttime $23 thing, okay? Whatever it costs now, we're going to do it during the day. Um, so go during the day. And then when you walk out and that sun hits you in the face for the first time, you realize how dark life really was. You thought it was light. You know, all this loud stuff and flashes and booms and bangs. And you walk outside and you're like, oh, my God. Ah, ah. So the Bible says that Jesus came into the world, and this is the reaction of the people that thought that they could see. Ah! It blinded them. Jesus blinded the people that thought they knew God. But to the ones that knew that they were in darkness, he gave them sight for the very first time. See, maybe you're here, and that describes you. You know that you don't have God in your life. You know that something is missing. I'll tell you what's missing. It's your spiritual sight. You cannot understand the Bible. You cannot understand who God is without the Holy Spirit inside of you. And you don't get the Spirit without surrendering your life to God, without believing in Jesus. When we believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes inside of us, and we are born of the Spirit. We are born again. And suddenly, the Bible says, our eyes are opened and we can finally begin to understand the, same, the things of God. Now, there's a whole group of people that think that that's backwards. They want to see the things of God so they themselves can decide. And God says, I make the rules, not you, because I make the light. God says, read his Bible. He says over and over again, who, who causes the sun to rise? Who causes the stars to come out? Who tells the seas they can only come this far? That's me. So you don't get to demand my light to figure out if I really exist. I am the light. And if you're here and you realize you've got that hole in your life, there's a way that you can receive Christ. It's just humbly coming before him and say, God, I need you. I need you, right? Second thing I think this text calls us to, uh, it calls us to live and to tell our story. Again, what we're doing here is awesome, telling our stories. That's great. Uh, we, we have to do that. I, again, that's, that's my heart is we would understand in an accusing world that we have a story to share. And the story's not really so much about us. Leah, the last part of your testimony, I was like, yeah, girl, preach it. Because she gets to the end, she's like, all this stuff happened to me, but oh, by the way, this isn't about me. God allowed me to go through all this so that I could know him and I wouldn't change an ounce of it. Which is hard to say when you hurt. But to say, God gets the glory in my hurt, right? God gets the glory. And so we say it, which by the way, church, Christians as a whole don't say it enough. Numbers in evangelism, that's sharing Christ, right? Telling our stories are so down that they, they almost have stopped tracking it all together. It's bad. It's bad. So we've got to get better at sharing our story. And guys, again, your story is not complicated. You don't have to memorize the whole Bible. You just, I, I don't know hardly anything, but here's what I do know. I was blind and now I said, so we've got to share it, but we also have to live it. Can you imagine what would happen if the man who was born blind, who was able to see, went back to begging. What happened to his testimony? So why have we, who have seen the work of God, all too often it seems gone back to the corner? <laughs> I'm just begging, Lord, just begging. Hello, I know God. I don't have to beg for anything. I'm a child. I, get, I, I got access to the throne. I don't need to beg. God, I got access. We've got to live like we believe what we've received. Okay, last thing I would tell you is this. 
Um, we need to move beyond merely giving thanks. Move beyond merely giving thanks. You write this down on your own. I don't need to see your piece of paper. Don't turn this in. This is not a test. If you have ever come to church and complained about anything, you write down, God, I am guilty of missing a moment of worship. That's all you have to write, of missing a moment of worship. You don't have to say when it was. It doesn't have to be that it was, well, it was last month or it was, it was today or it was, I don't care. But just, just reorient yourself to the truth of God's word. I can't come here and just praise. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. That's not real worship. That, that can lead me into worship. That can get me started. But ultimately, worship is about submitting my entire spirit unto God, my master. It's about bowing. Now, if I can't physically do it, can we be honest? Like, as we get older, what happens with our knees? You know, I'm 42. I realize, somebody, I'm looking at Miss Jerry. Jerry, I, the fact that you ever been down and get something, I'm like, yes. When we have altar calls and I, I see people come and bend down here, I'm trying to think of somebody that had a, a knee replacement not long ago, and they came at an altar call and they bent their knee down, had to get help back up. They're like, I'm going to go worship God today. I'm, I'm going to physically put a symbol to what I am saying, and I'm going to bow before my maker. And I'm just going to tell you, sometimes it's going to hurt, right? But that's what worship is about. I'm not telling you you have to physically have that posture, but we better spiritually have that posture before God. And I'll be honest with you, that hurts every bit as much as the creaky knee. To come before God and say, God, I am a wreck. God, I am a mess. God, here's all the ways I failed you this week. I need you, God, because we are so self-righteous. We don't want to confess that anymore. So if I ever come to this place and I ever complain in any way when we have gathered to worship God, then I know I have fallen short of true worship. I may have praised him. I may have said thank you through my words, the words that I didn't want to sing because they weren't mine. I may have said thank you. But I stop short of worship. Do not stop short of worship. Don't do it. All right? Let's increase our batting average around here. That's all I have for you guys. Let's pray real quick. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your word. I pray that it is transformational in our hearts and in our minds. I pray that you would help us understand it in a way that maybe we haven't before God. And I pray that we, like this man, would learn we have a story to share. And that we would be more focused on that story than anything else. God, I was blind. But now I see this is the one thing in life I know. I don't know a whole lot. But I do know, God, that I was changed by you. Let that be our story in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can I ask our ushers to come forward this morning? We're going to take up our morning offering. Uh, guys, if you're visiting with us, um, you are off the hook. This is for members. We ask our members to um, give a tithe or offering. Jeff, they're right over there. <laughs> um, and so uh, we ask that our members would give a tithe or an offering. And, uh, and so an offering, by the way, is above the, the tithe, which means 10%. And so if you want to give above and beyond, there are things you can give to. Uh, they can just go towards general budget. That's great. It could also go to our, our future fund, which, uh, guys, that, that needs, we're, we're drawing money out of that future fund as we voted uh, to do geotechnical and all kinds of planning. All that stuff is going on, and they're, they're going to they're gonna bore holes in the ground 25 feet deep to check the soil, and, and so we can have the right foundation and not build upon the shifting sands of the black land and all that stuff is happening. It's super exciting. Uh, but we, we need continued faithfulness.
faithful giving above and beyond to those things. And so I want to encourage you guys to, uh, to continue to pray about that and to do that. And so, uh, Father, um, we come before you just humbly acknowledging, God, that we need you. We need you in everything in life. Lord, we need you in everything that we do. And this is a, this is a way that we reflect the fact that you are indeed our provider and that you are good. Every gift we have is from your hand. And so, God, we recognize it now by returning a portion unto you. God, take it, multiply it, bless it for your kingdom and for your namesake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. amen.